I'm Bethany. And I'm Cassie. Today we're telling a story of siblings born and bred to run the world. They were the most infamous family of the 20th century. Their story drips with conspiracy. Their names whispered through the decades since they left their voices echoing in time and space. Their hands helped mold the America we know, sharing with their country dreams of landing on the moon, freedom for every man. And by example, they inspired generations to reach the highest heights. They played with fire, and only a few survived. Their words ring through our history books, their pretty faces on our television screens, and their signature will forever be stamped on our national identity. They stood in the trenches. We stood beside them. They flashed their diamonds. We flashed our cameras. They had their fun, and we saluted them. They were good. They were evil. They were human. They are the Kennedy siblings. The Kennedys were the most famous family of the 20th century. They were talked about, written about, and photographed more than any other group during their lifetime. But one member slipped by almost entirely unnoticed. Or maybe it just seemed that way. Maybe she was left behind. Or maybe, in the end, she was the reason behind everything. Rosemary was the third Kennedy child and had been born in the midst of the flu epidemic of 1918. By the time she was five, it was apparent that her physical and mental development was not anywhere near the normal progress for a kid her age. She couldn't feed or dress herself and had a lot of trouble learning to speak, so her verbal communication was minimal. Doctors were never able to figure out what exactly happened to cause her condition, whether it was the flu outbreak that affected her brain as an infant just something genetic, or maybe the doctors did something wrong with the forceps during her delivery. The consensus was that they just couldn't say what caused her disabilities. But there is a story in the book Rosemary, the Hidden Kennedy Daughter by Kate Clifford Larson that blows my mind. And if it's true, I cannot see how this wouldn't for sure be the root of her impairments. We know that the Kennedys hired medical staff, including nurses, and rented that house next to their in-laws for each of their children's births, right? This was the same with Rosemary. They hired the nurses, they rented the house. However, since she was born in the middle of the Spanish flu pandemic, her doctor was caught up at the hospital treating dying flu patients, and a nurse was alone at the Kennedy home monitoring Rose. Once she had gone into labor, the nurse called the doctor, set up the room into a modified, quote-unquote, clean room like they would have at the hospital. She ordered the maid to go get hot water and make sure all of the equipment that the doctor may need was right there, ready to go. And they waited. And they got new hot water, and they waited, and then they refreshed the hot water, and waited. Rose's contractions started getting more and more intense. The nurse was trained in an emergency to be able to deliver a baby if she had to, but she was also trained to wait for the doctor. She couldn't give Rose anesthesia because she wasn't trained for that, so she opted to just stall. Rose could not fight the urge to push, and with each contraction, the baby moved further and further down the birth canal. So the nurse is trying to just keep her calm, encouraging her to resist the urge to push, but the baby started to crown, which is a critical point in the birthing process. I would know because I've had so many kids. <laughs> I don't have any kids. The nurse does something here. I just cannot understand 
no matter how much I think about it. She tells Rose to just close her legs and hold the baby in. I'm not sure that this nurse ever had any kids either. And so she did for as long as she could. And then when that stopped working, this nurse put her hands on the baby's head and forced Rosemary to stay inside the birth canal for over two hours. I can't imagine how much pain Rose was in during this. I think obviously giving birth is insanely painful. Then you stack on top of that that she has no anesthesia. Stack on top of that that she's stressed out because her doctor's not even there. It's just her nurse. So I would be like freaking out like when is my doctor getting here? And then she's holding in a, a bowling ball. The amount of pressure, I would be sweating, crying, begging God. <laughs> it was already widely understood at this time that forcing the baby to stay in the birth canal after it had already left the womb would cause a lack of oxygen and expose the baby to the risk of brain damage or physical disability. The nurse basically suffocated Rosemary. The doctor finally showed up two hours later, around 7 p.m., and delivered a beautiful, seemingly healthy baby girl with dark hair and sparkling eyes. Rose said years later that she thought back through Rosemary's birth and what happened over and over, and she said, quote, I had such confidence in my obstetrician. I put my faith in God and tried to sublimate my discomfort in expectation of the happiness. The happiness she knew would come once her baby was in her arms. And the plot thickens. It may not have just been an insecure nurse that forced Rose to keep the baby inside. A private baby delivery from a doctor cost a steep $125 in 1918 around $2,500 today. But if the doctor missed the birth of the baby, he could not charge the fee for the delivery. Conspiracy? I think yes. Rose spent weeks lying in and breastfeeding Rosemary while nursemaids took care of the boys. Remember, Joe Jr. and Jack were toddlers at this time. It was typical of upper and middle class women around this time to take months to recover from birth, and everything seemed great. Rosemary was a happy baby, much more calm and content than her brothers had been, and Rose attributed this to her gender and just a natural disposition. Rosemary's personality was different, you know? That's it. It wasn't until around Rosemary's first birthday that her mother started noticing definite delays in her development. She didn't intervene at this time, though. She just kind of hoped and prayed that Rosemary would catch up. Rose was also already pregnant again, and that baby would be kick. During those early years of Rosemary's life, Rose's diary is full of the children's progress and little antics and the hilarious things that they did, but there isn't much about Rosemary herself. In fact, as Rosemary gets older and older, Rose's diary entries slow down entirely. She kind of stopped writing about anyone. I think the not writing about Rosemary at the beginning was partly due to shame and not wanting to accept what was becoming clear about Rosemary's abilities, but also probably partly that she just didn't know what exactly was going on or what to even write about. I read that Rose didn't even know about mental disabilities, hadn't ever encountered someone with disabilities until Rosemary. That also gives a lot of context and insight into what the world was like at this point. That might be unique to the private schools in the upper class world that Rose was raised in, or it might just be a testament to the time that she was in because they were a lot more secluded. People with mental disorders, mental disabilities, and physical disabilities were a lot more segregated and separated from the rest of society. As the years went on, Rose explained that the lack or absence of diary entries was simply because she was spending so much time with Rosemary, trying to help her, teach her, and even figure out a diagnosis 
And so a lot of those other things that she used to spend time and effort on just flew out the window, like recording their day-to-day happenings in her diary. Here's Rose. Quote, I often wondered if Jack felt neglected, because when she was young, and of course, Rosemary was a year and a half younger than he was, I gave her a great deal of attention, thinking that I could circumvent this affliction she had, or I could have her so educated it wouldn't be noticed at all, or she could still go on with the other children in a normal way. One of their neighbors reported that Rose, quote, wasn't a bring-them-to-the-bosom kind of mother. There was a reserve between Mrs. Kennedy and her children, except for the case of Rosemary, who received most of her affection. During this time in history, it would have been typical for a family to send someone with Rosemary's condition to an institution where she could be cared for by nurses, especially a family as wealthy as the Kennedys. Another reason Rose may have never been exposed to disabilities. But Rose was determined to never send her daughter away. So she and Joe committed themselves to altering whatever they needed to in order to keep her at home and under her family's care. They hired a special governess, or a nanny, and several tutors to help care for Rosemary. Eunice, the fifth in birth order, remembered that her mom spent hours and hours and hours playing tennis with Rosemary, but she never played a single match of tennis with any of the other kids. Rose and Joe required everyone in the family to treat Rosemary as an equal as much as possible, and all of the other kids showed up for her. They were all attentive and kind. It was a bold example of the solidarity and loyalty they all possessed. Being Catholics, the Kennedys were outsiders, and outsiders stick together. The Kennedy tribe had their sisters back. Because of this, and because of how pretty Rosemary was as well, she never really had to deal with any bullying from kids at school, even when she was held back in younger grades during elementary school. Some of the Kennedy siblings have said that they think Rosemary was also epileptic. Eunice remembered frantic calls to the doctor who would rush over and give Rosemary medication. Quote, I can remember at the Cape, the doctors coming in and giving her shots and then disappearing. I think she was partly epileptic as well as retarded. I also want to note that I'm going to be using quotes that are word for word from the people and from the time that they were stated. So there might be alarming terms and very harsh words used during these episodes, but I do not want to alter or sugarcoat the world that Rosemary grew up in, or the history behind disabilities and the way that the people with disabilities were treated. We are also going to cover the outdated terminology that was clinically used at this time and was accepted as a best practice because it will kind of blow your mind. And if you want a way to look at this in a little bit more of a positive light, because this is a very dark time, these are negative things that we're covering and it's easy to get mad about it, but It is also encouraging to see how far we have come, and a huge part of Rosemary's story is what her family did to not only help Rosemary in her life, but other people with disabilities as well. Don't spoil the whole story, Beth. Whenever these epileptic episodes occurred, all of the other kids were whisked away into another room until the doctor was gone, and none of them ever dared to ask their parents what exactly was wrong with their sister. Gloria Swanson, remember her from the previous episode? Gloria scarred the Kennedys. That's the one. Well, Gloria got a dose of Joe's infamous rage only one time, and it was over Rosemary. Gloria overheard Joe really irritated and talking on the phone to someone about Rosemary when Rosemary was around 10 years old. Allegedly... Joe was trying to get a doctor to, quote-unquote, cure her, and offered to buy the hospital a new ambulance if this doctor would take Rosemary as a patient. Since it didn't seem that Joe got the result that he wanted from the conversation, Gloria offered to bring Rosemary to meet her doctor in California. Quote, I had seen him angry with other people, but now, for the first time, he directed his anger against me. It was frightening. His blue eyes turned to ice and then to steel. 
He said that they had taken Rosemary to the best specialists in the East. He didn't want to hear about some $3 doctor in Pasadena who recommended zucchini and string beans for everything. So California has always been this way. That is interesting. That's the craziest thing to me. This is from the late 1920s or early 1930s. And L.A. is already green juice and... Yeah, those hippie roots run deep. When Gloria went on about how great the doctor really was, Joe responded, quote, I don't want to hear about it. Do you understand me? Do you understand me? Neither Joe nor Gloria ever brought Rosemary up ever again. Homeschooling Rosemary was not ideal. Her mother felt unqualified and in over her head, so they started to look into what the option of placing her in an institution may look like. While Rosemary was growing up, the culture around mental disabilities was harsh and ignorant. The clinical terms of the day were, quote, Idiots. Being the most severely disabled, they were classified as having an IQ equivalent to a two-year-old or younger. Imbeciles were those with a three- to eight-year-old mental ability. And morons were those with an eight- to twelve-year-old capacity. Labels like these allowed for a huge misunderstanding from society. Instead of being human, they were a moron. And the education that was desperately needed was absolutely non-existent. In the socially elite circles Rosemary's parents were a part of, it was even worse. The widely held opinion of their peers was an ideology called eugenics. If you aren't familiar with that term, it is the belief that the human race consists of two groups, two kinds of people, eugenic and cacogenic, those that should procreate and those that, at the very least, should not be allowed. African Americans, criminals, immigrants, the poor, and the most defective, the disabled. They believed that forced sterilization was the quote-unquote cure for society. That money spent on prisons, insane asylums, poor houses, and charities was wasted money and that it enabled the spread of quote-unquote bad seed. People like Teddy Roosevelt, John D. Rockefeller, Andrew Carnegie, John Kellogg, Mary Williamson Harriman, and the early feminist Victoria Woodhull were allegedly advocates of this thought. The perception that these people were not valuable humans allowed for their treatment to be just horrific. Both state-funded and private institutions were just as bad as the other. There is footage from places like these, and I could only take a short little bit of watching. They were chronically overcrowded and underfunded and pretty much just a dumping ground for the people that society did not want. In the footage that I saw, the entire place was completely dark. I'm assuming that they just weren't willing to pay for electricity. There were people crouching in corners the care was so poor at these places that the patients were often covered in their own feces for days at a time. There was rampant corruption. Nobody was really checking in to make sure that these places were run ethically. The staff personally raped the residents and also prostituted them out for financial gain. There was absolutely no protection for these people. Every form of abuse was their everyday life. Insane asylums in the 1910s through the 1950s were hell on earth. And that is part of the homeless problem that we face today in America. Because these institutions were so horrific, they were closed. But instead of providing an alternative, the doors were just shut. And the patients kicked out, nowhere to go, no direction, just opened the doors and said, you can't stay here. Most of these people did not have family support or they would not have been in the institutions in the first place, so they ended up on the streets, homeless, or often, in a short amount of time, in prison. 
Rose taught her kids that Rosemary's disabilities were some kind of gift from God, that he gave them to Rosemary to remind them all that they must give as much as they receive and to give them an understanding of the daily sufferings and challenges that others experience. And it definitely worked. Rosemary's struggles gave Jack an uncommon compassion for human limitations and an understanding that sometimes you can only do so much. You can't rewrite all stars. One friend remembered that he, quote, had a marvelous capacity for projecting himself into other people's shoes. That was one of the great keys to his whole personality. He could become a little old lady who was being embarrassed by her husband's conduct. I saw it happen so many times. That friend was talking about a time when he and Jack were in a New York restaurant and a drunk guy got up and started screaming at Jack, who was a public figure by that point. The friend suggested that they just go ahead and leave, but Jack sat calmly through the abuse. He pointed and said, quote, Would you look at that guy's wife and what she's going through? Because apparently she looked like she was about to literally die of embarrassment. Eventually, she was able to get her husband out of the restaurant, but Jack's friend said, quote, I thought that was so humane. There was loads of things like that. The world outside of the Kennedy family was not nearly as understanding, though. The Catholic Church at this time routinely refused sacraments to the intellectually disabled, especially those with Down syndrome. The Catholic Church was also the highest authority in the Kennedy family's life. If they allowed the public to know Rosemary's disabilities, they would risk being shunned or ostracized completely. And so, rather than sending her away to an institution as would be expected, or being thrown out by their community for keeping Rosemary around despite her disabilities, the Kennedy family molded Rosemary to be as similar to the rest of them as possible, to disguise their differences, and to never speak of her challenges out loud. My parents, strong believers in family loyalty, rejected suggestions that Rosemary be sent away to an institution. Eunice Kennedy. She remembered her father saying, quote, What can they do for her that her family can't do better? We will keep her at home. But because she needed so much help, and Rose had eight other children at home, they opted for boarding school for Rosemary. It was the plan with each of the siblings, but for her sisters, they waited until they were about 13 years old and they enrolled Rosemary at age 11. They knew that living away from home without her family at such a young age was going to be very stressful for her, but after years in all of the best local private schools with no progress and a year of private education at home with no progress, the Kennedys felt they had no other option. They felt they had to help her have her best chance, and the best option they hadn't tried yet was this boarding school in Pennsylvania. It was ran by a former public school teacher who had success with intellectually challenged students. At first, her transition was rough, but after a few months, her parents were super hopeful that this school had been the key because she was making the most educational progress she had made in a long time. In a letter from November 1929, Joe told his daughter, Rosemary, that he was so proud of her improvements and, quote, I am sure that within the next few months, it will be even better. Gently encouraging her to work even harder. Her teachers reported that Rosemary, quote, made the necessary social adjustments, showed excellent social poise, and was quite charming at times. However, The school noted that one of the largest obstacles in Rosemary's learning was her chronically low self-esteem. She began to get really frustrated and embarrassed when she couldn't understand a concept or perform a task, and that gave her a lot of anxiety. She would get discouraged and then would give up easily and had trouble focusing. (laughs) This little story is really funny because it's such a classic kid thing to do. But despite how she was actually doing in school, she wrote to her parents telling them all the wonderful things that she was accomplishing and how incredibly well she was doing, quote, I am working hard, mother, because I get 100 in arithmetic all the time. I am wonderful in spelling. 
she was unaware that the school was in communication with her parents. <laughs> Rosemary's school discouraged family visits because they didn't want to interrupt the student's education. So Rosemary got very lonely, and she wrote lots of letters to her family. Here's one that she wrote to Joe in October 1934. Quote, Darling Daddy, I have a travel book about Europe, and I am looking up and answering all the questions. I am sending you a few lines from it. The book is written all in French, and I have to translate it. I am learning some history way back in the beginning, when men lived in caves and did not even know how to cook. Did you receive my postcards and my letter? I am going to take some dancing lessons to get ready for the first dance. I hope soon to send you a letter in French. Give my love to all the family. Rosemary. She even had to beg her parents to plead her case to the headmaster so that she could go home for Thanksgiving. Quote, Did you ask Mrs. Devereaux if I could go home on Thanksgiving? You said you were going to do it. Please do. I miss you very much. Give everyone my love, please. When you go up to see Joe and Jack, give them my love, please. Write me a long, long, long letter. Rosemary. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. Rosemary's family did visit her frequently. Her grandparents, Honey Fitz and her grandma Josie, and her aunts and uncles and close family friends checked in on her and picked her up to hang out on weekends while she was away at boarding school because she was in Massachusetts near Boston and her family was in New York. But she had extended family, obviously, in Boston. This helped her mom's anxiety greatly, and it made Rosemary very happy. Joe also asked Joe Jr. and Jack to keep in touch with her. Joe Jr. was at Harvard nearby and would take Rosemary on outings in Boston. Their father wrote to him, quote, I think it is fine the way you are contacting Rose because it gives her a little more confidence. Keep suggesting to her that she should work very hard in order to get all she can. She must not feel she is there for social purposes and nothing else. So he was asking Joe Jr. to encourage Rosemary in the same way that he asked him to look over Jack while he was in school. Also note that her name was actually Rose. After her mother, her middle name was Marie. So they ended up just combining Rose Marie to Rosemary. It probably helped differentiate between her and her mom as well. I think it's important to note the contrast between how Joe treats the children and honestly, Joe and Rose, how they treat the Kennedy siblings versus how Janet treated mm -hmm. Jackie and Lee in the Bouvier sisters story, because these stories are always neck and neck. I like to compare the two, but Janet was definitely the main culprit and sort of like separating and making a really big competition and sort of a toxic relationship yeah. between the sisters. And in this one, I think that the parents were their biggest champions in making sure that those sibling relationships were solid. And it affected their identities greatly. And what they contributed to the world. Their sibling relationships gave them a lot of responsibility early on in life and they sort of carried that throughout their entire life. Joe Jr. wrote back to his father that Rosemary had met one of his classmates and they thought she was very nice. In mid-October 1934, Joe Sr. traveled to Boston to visit Rosemary. They went to a Harvard football game together and met up with Joe Jr. After his visit, Rosemary wrote him this letter, dated October 15, 1934. Quote, Dear Daddy, I had a lovely time on Saturday. Thank you ever so much for coming down to see me. Sunday, I also had a good time. I would do anything to make you so happy. I hate to disappoint you in any way. Come to see me very soon. I get very lonesome every day. See you soon, I hope. It was raining today, so we could not play. 
so we went to Franklin Park. We had lots of fun. I bought a new hockey stick for $4.35. Most sticks cost $6. I got a very good one. Looking forward to see you again sometime soon. Lots of love, kisses, your loving daughter, Rosemary. That letter is really interesting and gives a lot of insight to me because you can see that she's thinking through these processes of, you know, what what, she's been taught. Yeah, what she's been taught and, oh, it's good to be frugal and that's really smart and Mm -hmm. responsible, but also it's not a cheap stick and (laughs) it's... It's a good quality. It's quality. I just saved money. Yes. She knew that that was important to her dad and that he would be proud of her for doing or paying attention to those things. Yes. And she was super concerned with other people's feelings and emotions. She was very compassionate and like very empathetic as well. So I I think that her emotional intelligence was higher than probably her like academic intelligence. That's what I was going to say is that she always paid special attention to communicate her emotional needs and her observations and she was to like, make sure that other people felt or like knew the things that she felt about them. It also shows insight into the fact that the Kennedys weren't totally hiding Rosemary. And I think oh my gosh, no. prior to the story, why is Cassie tearing up? <laughs> I thought I was going to get away with it. I'm just yes, thinking just about crying. her. She's just so, so freaking sweet. Oh, I can't. She isn't being hidden. And prior to listening to this story, I definitely had the perception that she was this one sibling who was rushed off to this institution. (laughs) Tears are rolling down her face. (laughs) I have to get it together. If I'm crying in this part, just Just freaking wait wait till the next. I mean, just wait. Cassie's definitely shed more tears over the Kennedy siblings than any story that we've done. Like probably all of them combined. Oh yeah. For sure. It is a, an emotional roller coaster. Okay. I think misunderstanding just like pierces me and the Kennedys as a whole were very misunderstood and Rosemary wanting to be understood breaks me as well. It's like everyone had good intentions, but also everyone's motivations were different. Anyways, we'll talk about that in the after show. So prior to hearing this story, I thought that Rosemary was this random child or sibling that they rushed off to this institution as soon as she was, as soon as they were aware of her disability. Mm -hmm. That nobody really knew about and she wasn't. Yeah, that they tried to keep away from all of the media, all of their friends, that even the family like didn't really pay attention Mm -hmm. to. Like I thought it was this whole like, oh, we're funding her life and we're paying for the best care for her, but we don't really talk about Rosemary. We don't see Rosemary. And it was not like that at all. I mean- just in that one letter, they're saying that they took her to Harvard. The The dad took her out in public, like in a very public place, in a, a very prestigious, yes. yeah, very elevated place. And Cassie just told us that in the elite academic world, disabilities were even more frowned upon and they were not shying away from bringing her to places at all. It also in that letter said that Joe brought a friend from college to visit Mm -hmm. Rosemary, which is huge as well. And the fact that he's just taking time from his Harvard college fun life to visit his little sister. At that age, that 19, 20 year old You're having fun. You want to hang out with girls. You want to do whatever. And he's literally bringing his friends to visit Rosemary. So I just think that it shows a lot of the layers of what was really going on at this time and in this family and what was really important to them when they easily could have justified not really talking to Rosemary or seeing her at all. And her father, Joe, always continued to encourage her. Here's what he wrote back. Quote, Mother sent me your letter and I was delighted to hear from you. It showed a lovely spirit for you to write and pleased both mother and me very much to think you are so appreciative and also that you feel you are studying as hard as I know you can and are doing. I hope skating turns out to be lots of fun. Be sure to wear a big pillow where you sit down so that when you sit on the ice, and I know you will, you won't get too black and blue. (laughs) Jack could also be counted on to be there for Rosemary and encourage her. One year, Rose wrote to the headmaster of Choate, requesting that he allow Jack to temporarily leave school and attend a dance that Rosemary asked him to. Quote, The reason I am making this seemingly absurd request is because the young lady who is inviting him is his sister, and she has an inferiority complex. I know it would help her if he went with her. Allow Rose to just tell it like it is. You know what? 
Her family also paid for her to go out on weekends with family friends and have extra badminton lessons and invite friends from school to go to the museums with her. Rosemary was very social, and that worried her parents. She loved dressing up and wearing makeup. She was very much like every other girl her age in that way. Eunice said, quote, Every time I would say, Rosemary, you have the best teeth and smile in the family. She would smile for hours. Rose remembered, quote, If I said to her no more than, Rosemary, that's the most beautiful hair ribbon, she would be thrilled. And here is a letter from Rosemary for proof. Quote, Darling mother and daddy, the chauffeur drove Mary O'Keefe and I to Adam's house on Friday night. That's where we met Joe and John O'Keefe at 10 past 8. Then Mary went with Joe in his car to the dance. I went with John O'Keefe. He told the chauffeur how to go. It was a costume party, but we didn't know it. I wore my red evening dress, red shoes, two red bows on my hair, black evening coat. Mary wore her red evening dress, red evening coat, and we both had our nails polished. John O'Keefe did a backward somersault at the dance. Saturday, Babe Coughlin, a friend of Mary, went down on the beach and cooked sausages and put it in a sandwich, cooked steak and bacon, and brought gingerbread to eat. We made a fire and got wood for it. Paper, too. And we came home. I played Christine in ping pong and Mary and Babe also. We also played three-handed bridge. At night, Mary and I played Monopoly with Christine. Sunday, Aunt Agnes invite Joe and I to lunch. I stayed overnight. I am going to study Napoleon. Mary O'Keefe has a new red and white bathing suit, new white shorts, new blue evening dress. I tried the bathing suit on me. Also, the new silk dress she bought. I tried it on me. I get $3 allowance a week. I have had my hair waved and my eyebrows plucked. Lots of loving kisses to the best mother and father in the world. Your loving daughter, Rosemary. I would like to note that, quote, Aunt Agnes, invite Joe and I, is Aunt A-G-N-A-S-E-N-V-I-T-E. And that Eunice thinks that it's important to know that she believes that Rosemary's teachers helped write all of these letters from her time at school over the years and that the letters do make her seem a bit more capable than Eunice said Rosemary was in actuality. By this time, Kick was off at her Catholic boarding school and thriving. She was naturally charming and friendly, which made her very popular in addition to her intelligence. Eunice was three years younger, still living at home, and she wrote to Rosemary often. Eunice was the closest to Rosemary out of everyone from this point forward, and that closeness would endure for the next 70 years. Quote, Dear Eunice, I miss you very much. Didn't we have fun together when I was at home? I was so sorry I had to leave all of you. So soon. Tell the girls to write me as much as they can. I will see you quite soon, sweetheart. I'm dying to hear from mother and daddy. Tell mother to send me my box of candy that she gave me Easter. I feel very upset when I don't hear from mother. Tell her that. Write me a long, long letter and make it as long as you can, darling. I know you will, dear. Love, Rose. Ugh, my heart. I think it's just so sweet to and like endearing to me that she loves her family so much. And like she does have a lot of other friends. She's super social. But her family was a special bond for her. Yeah, those were her favorite people in the world. I think that part of Rosemary's fondness with her family was because they didn't treat her like she was stupid and with everyone else. They were extra like lovey to her, but kind of talked to her like she was a little kid and they were very aware of her disability and her family. It was like Joe set the tone Mm -hmm. that she's no different than the rest of us and she can accomplish just as much as anyone. And And it is something that you have to be consciously purposeful of because the normal way to behave would to be very gentle and treat her a little bit like a kid. Right. Because she she talks like a kid and she does act a little bit childish, but they really... You can tell how conscious she is, though, and how coherent 
of what is supposed to be normal and what people expect. And she can tell that people respond to her in a different way than they do others. Yeah, than they do to her younger sisters. Mm -hmm. And she did want to be treated like an adult. And yeah, I just think that the way that her family treated her like that helped her in the long run. But I also think that it may have hurt her in the whole self-confidence area because it's like they expected her to keep up with everyone and she wasn't. And so she was like, crap, there is something wrong with me. I can't do things. That would be an almost impossible balance to find. There are a few frustrating things in the letters that we have from the Kennedy family. The first being that Rosemary's parents were obsessed with her weight, like they were with all of the children, but Rosemary specifically. There are several letters over the years, back and forth between her and her parents, and just between Joe and Rose, talking about her needing to lose weight, or Rosemary trying out the Elizabeth Arden diet that her father suggested, and being super proud and wanting validation or praise for losing a few pounds here and there. One letter from Christmas of 1938 is from Rosemary writing to her father while spending Christmas with Rose and her younger siblings in St. Moritz. Quote, Everything is so beautiful. I wish I could stay for a month. I don't want to be fat. I will surprise you. She noted that she was eating at the diet table and ended her letter by saying that she would try to not worry her mother. Another point of frustration is a mystery. Rosemary's siblings remember her always taking these little red pills growing up. They could have been antihistamine for allergies because the Kennedys were an allergy family. As are we. They could have been a sedative for anxiety or really anything. So historians aren't sure, but it's kind of creepy and suspicious. Maybe they're like diet pills or something. I really want to know what these little red pills were. All of her siblings Note that they remember her taking them all the time, but we have no idea what they were. Aside from the frustrations in the letters, there is a cool crossover from our Disney episodes. When Rosemary was attending Sacred Heart Academy in Manhattanville, New York City, in early 1938, the nuns there asked for a private showing of the latest Disney animated film, Snow White. Eddie Moore, Rosemary's godfather, who also worked with Joe, her father, was excited to make it happen because, quote, They have been so sweet about Rosemary. Their campus was on Fifth Avenue, and I just love the image of all the girls walking down Fifth Avenue in 1938, escorted by nuns, off to see a private showing of Snow White, courtesy of Rosemary's dad. And yet again, blood and business dimensions intertwine. When Rosemary was at home, her mother made sure that she was busy and occupied as much as possible. She was required to have a companion with her when she traveled on the train. Miss Rosemary had a rebellious streak, so she loved to test her parents' patience by running away from said companion. (laughs) As Rosemary grew up, her mind continually deteriorated. She jumped from school to school, either as a result of her parents' quest for a miracle or because her teachers were not fully informed of Rosemary's condition up front and after the initial term, refused to enroll her for another year. Joe and Rose tended to downplay Rosemary's disabilities because they really wanted her to go to school alongside all of the other kids and have a quote-unquote normal educational career. And we will get into this specific storyline in a later episode because it involves the entire family and where they all were when crap hit the fan just before World War II. And that's why London is mentioned. But here's a quote from Eunice during that time because it paints a good picture of how Rosemary was around 20 years old. Quote, No one could watch out for Rosemary all the time. And now she was a grown-up girl. Her siblings were worried that Rosemary might, quote, accidentally do something dangerous while mother was occupied with some unavoidable official function. Would she get confused taking a bus and get lost among London's intricate streets? Would someone attack her? Could she protect herself if she were out of the eye of the governess? Because of some of the events regarding the World War that we will get into, Rosemary ended up at a convent school in England, just outside London. She said it was, quote, the most wonderfulest place I've ever been to. 
She had a constant companion named Dorothy Gibbs who helped her with her homework, getting ready for outings, anything and everything, and she loved her. She was free from most of the societal pressures, political life, and the press that came along with living near her family, and the sisters at the school were incredibly kind to her. They actually were one of the early adopters of the Montessori educational method, which I did not know was that old, and Rosemary responded super well to it. The Kennedys were ecstatic. It was the most hope they'd had for her in a long, long time. Joe wrote that Mary Moore, Rosemary's godmother and the wife of Eddie, who kind of coordinated the whole Disney outing. So Joe wrote that Mary, after Rosemary had been at the school for only a few weeks, quote, had never seen such a change in her life. It was a school for younger children, but because of who Rosemary was and her disabilities, she was able to attend as well, and it worked out great because her disabilities were not obvious, and it didn't matter to the children. So she just got to be free and basically live her best life, hanging out with kids every day, and there wasn't a bunch of pressure on her to keep up with adults. Joe told Rose that it was, quote, apparent now that this is the ideal life for Rosemary. She was completing tasks that she had never been able to do, and she was even helping the sisters out with the kids at the school. She helped supervise the students while they played in the garden, and she had a set time where she would read to them as well. Here is one of the sisters, Mother Isabel, writing to Rosemary's parents about Rosemary helping out with the kids. Quote, She prepares and gives them their lunch in the middle of the morning and has many other occupations of a domestic kind which she is able to do alone not the least of which is putting away the dining room things, china and silver, in the cupboard. She still had some struggles. The nuns wrote that she needed to learn to not be, quote, so fierce in front of the children. (laughs) So she was still dealing with her temper, but everything was looking very promising for Rosemary. Even Dorothy Gibbs, Rosemary's companion at the school, was cautiously hopeful that this could be the answer. Quote, Please God, she wrote, that someday he will grant the Kennedys the joy of a perfect healing for her. But again, because of the war, Rosemary had to leave her school in London and return to the States. Little Jean Kennedy, the eighth sibling, was around 12 years old at this time, and she told her father that everyone was, quote, thrilled that Rosie would be returning home. But after living apart for her family for over a year and then having to leave the peace and structure that she found at the convent in England, the return home was destabilizing and very difficult for Rosemary. She had spent very little time in the home in Brookline because she had been away at boarding schools most of her life since her family bought that house in 1929. She was also no longer in a place where she had a dedicated companion and lots of patient and gentle nuns that had all day to chat, but instead was back in the place where she had to compete with her eight other siblings for attention. Her friends back in the States had grown up and matured, but Rosemary was still an adolescent girl inside. Her siblings did all that they could to help her feel like she had a place in everything. Eunice and Bobby would take Rosemary out on their boat in Hyannisport as part of their crew since she was not able to sail by herself, and Jean accompanied her to the movies. But it just wasn't enough. The chaos of the summer, Jack and his friends coming to visit, everybody in and out of the house, every day being different, everyone playing games and sports that she was not able to participate in, the dinner conversations about politics and current events, the war, and her best friend— Her sister, Eunice, was away intermittently throughout the whole summer for tennis tournaments in other cities. The time she spent with the younger kids just couldn't substitute for the bond that she shared with Eunice, and Jack was so busy with book signings and planning for law school that he wasn't there much either. Joe Jr. was busy attending the Democratic National Convention and other political engagements. Kick was out volunteering for the Red Cross and had a very busy social life. Rosemary was getting left behind. Luella Hennessy, the family's longtime private nurse, 
reported that the children were, quote, especially kind to Rosemary. And Jack and Joe Jr. in particular made sure that there was, quote, always a place for her in the family's activities. Even Kick sometimes would plan out a whole evening of fun for Rosemary, but she was left to spend a good deal of time with her younger brothers and sisters, rather than with those who were closest to her age. Rosemary felt like a babysitter to her younger siblings while she watched her siblings that were her age go out and create lives for themselves. She also noticed that when she went out with her older siblings, she was mostly only dancing with her brothers and other close family friends and would ask, quote, Why don't other boys ask me to dance? A close friend of Rose's, Miriam Finnegan, once stated, quote, I think there's so much made of kick that Rosemary is a little conscious of that and feels a little bit in the background. Kick had a huge personality. She was gorgeous, very intellectual, and she got a lot of attention for it. In episode two, Cassie also noted that Kick was the most like Jack. So very charming, very social, mm-hmm. and the most rebellious of the siblings. Yes. So it wasn't just that she was like an average girl. She was a bright, shiny, personality. Outgoing, rebellious yes. girl. And she's the one that's right below Rosemary in age. Yeah, so it's not like she's just older than her. She's younger than Rosemary. Rosemary feels like she should be getting that much attention or that she's behind in some way. Kick and Eunice would help Rosemary get dressed and put on her makeup, which Rosemary knew that someone her age should be able to do by herself. And this gave her even more feelings of inadequacy and added to her low self-confidence. Her sisters would secretly watch her while they were out to make sure she didn't, quote, spill things on her clothes or try to put fresh lipstick on herself. (laughs) Lem Billings remembered that Rosemary, quote, seemed to realize that no matter how hard she tried, she would never even come within sight of her brother's and sister's accomplishments. Like she was just... Too conscious, but didn't have the abilities needed, you know? Yeah, like she she was self-aware enough to know that she wasn't on par with everyone else around her and that there was, quote-unquote, something wrong with her, but she still couldn't. It's like, she, yeah, she was she trying overcome. to push past that, but she, she couldn't. There was a ceiling. Yeah, which is sad because her emotional and mm-hmm. social intelligence really was there. Yeah. But if they would have... I don't know, helped her excel at the social and emotional things like, like I mean, the I nuns like were helping did. her do. Yeah, like the it, nuns it's were, just the nuns put her in a lower bar. No, it's yeah, it's like she, they she put was her with children. children, but she was like the alpha in that group, obviously. Like she was the one that was teaching. It allowed her to contribute and to feel like, oh, I'm doing an adult task. I have a yeah. job. She was never going to have as many abilities as her natural siblings did. Most people don't. Yeah, <laughs> like I know. They I freaking were wouldn't the fit most in that successful group. <laughs> siblings. So that's really, really hard. That like her favorite people were also the people she used. Her to favorite herself. people were surpassing her. Yeah. They were leaving her behind. And to no fault of their own. No. And yeah, what are you to do? It's just one of those things that it just was what it was. Mm-hmm. You you can't tell your other kids, don't don't use your gifts and talents yeah, don't because shine. It, it makes your sister feel bad about herself. And you also don't want to ostracize her from the family because she's uncomfortable around it. It's just it's just a hard situation. She was situation. a victim of circumstance. Mm-hmm. By about 1939 to 1941, around when she turned 21 to 22 years old, Rosemary turned violent and started to rage at those who tried to care for her. Another memory from Lem was that, quote, Every day there would be one terrifying incident after another. Physical fights where Rosemary would use her fists and hit and bruise people. This was around the time that she had come home from England and was dealing with all of the pressures at home. She was also having violent seizures. Rose tried to find better accommodations for her in the U.S. She got her placed at a Catholic girls' summer camp as an art teacher but that only lasted about three weeks before they sent Rosemary back home. So you're right. They really did try to help her excel at what she was really good at because they were putting her in places that she could be social, that she could help out, in places that she could excel, but the outside world wasn't ready for her yet. Yeah. 
I read about this Catholic camp and the people who were running it, and Rose actually had gone to a lunch meeting prior to Rosemary going to the camp to kind of discuss her role and discuss, like, the accommodations that would be needed for Rosemary. And Rose did tell them that she would need a companion with her 24-7, but she didn't tell them anything else, really. And the reason that she got sent home was because the camp administrators just didn't realize Rosemary's disabilities, and they were really surprised with how remedial her abilities were. It's so, so, so sad. There's a letter from Rosemary when she had to leave the camp because the administrators were not prepared to accommodate her. And her godfather just kind of came and got her like very, very quickly all in a rush. She left like two huge luggages there of her stuff because she couldn't take everything. It was so fast. And she wrote a letter back afterwards saying, I'm so sorry that you guys had to lose me. I really didn't want to leave. I loved you guys. I had so much fun, Um, but it wasn't my fault. I just want everyone to know that it wasn't my fault that I had to leave. And it's so, so sad. You could tell that her parents and her godfather had kind of sheltered her from the reason that she had to be taken away. But it was it's interesting because Rosemary is always called the hidden Kennedy daughter, but it was like she was hidden in plain sight. Rosemary, the person wasn't hidden. It was just kind of the ins and outs of who Rosemary was was hidden. Exactly. So after returning home from the Catholic camp, Rose found an academy in Philadelphia that claimed to intimately know the nuns from the English convent that Rosemary loved so much and felt so at home at. And they also had a Montessori program that they claimed was very similar to the one at the English convent. However, they did not. They also did not have a mother, Isabel. So after only two months at that school, Rosemary was again transferred back home. Eunice remembered that Rosemary, quote, had begun to get sort of emotional. She was high strung and had quite a lot of temper tantrums all the time. She ended up going to another school, but then they started calling saying that Rosemary was missing and that the nuns would find her out walking the streets at 2 a.m. pretty frequently. Rose wrote during this time that, quote, a neurological disturbance had taken over her and it was becoming progressively worse. The whole situation really upset her siblings. They were devastated for her. After years and years of trying everything her parents could think of and making progress and then losing it all, Rosemary's father took her to have a prefrontal lobotomy. She was never the same after that fateful day. Was she coerced? Did she even know what was happening to her before she heard the whir of the drills? Did her family dispose of her because they were embarrassed of her disabilities, or did they make a mistake despite their deep love for her? The biggest Kennedy secret, and the start of the infamous Kennedy curse. They were at the helm during the most turbulent moment in American history. The rumors are legion, some sincere, some slander. They gave everything to their country. But what did it look like behind closed doors, in their homes, the most intimate moments of their time on earth? Sometimes the truth is more wild than the headlines. They seemed to live the easy life, but they lost it all in an instant. They ran faster, worked harder, burned brighter, and then they were gone. You have just listened to The Kennedy Siblings, Episode 3, from Blood and Business. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please give us a review on Apple, rate us on Spotify, and share Blood and Business with a friend or a sibling. If you'd like to support the show, the best way is to become a patron of Blood and Business. You will get bonus content every month, including a monthly bonus episode, interactive main episodes, and behind-the-scenes footage. To keep up with us day-to-day, you can follow us at Blood and Business on Instagram and TikTok. 
You can find the link for Instagram, TikTok, and Patreon in the show notes below. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you back here next week for your regularly scheduled programming on Blood and Business. The main source for this episode was Rosemary, the Hidden Kennedy Daughter by Kate Clifford Larson. To see a complete list of sources for all Blood and Business episodes, head on over to Patreon for a free PDF download.